Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Today's episode is more relevant than ever to both me and Wit, as we'll be chatting all things parenting with the renowned Dr. Becky Kennedy. She is my number one go-to for all parenting advice, so make sure you follow her on Instagram. She's a clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety, resilience, and parenting, and Time Magazine actually just called her the Millennial Parenting Whisperer, which I agree with. She received her BA in psychology and human development from Duke University and PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia. A lot of her work focuses on helping parents navigate the challenges of parenting with simple yet highly actionable strategies for true change within the home. Whitney and I loved this episode so, so much, and we hope that you enjoy it as well. And whether you're a parent or not, there are lots of beautiful lessons ahead. Well, Dr. Becky, I am such a fan of yours and I know Whitney is too. And I have been looking forward to recording this episode with you for a long time. So thank you so much for being here today. I have been looking forward to connecting with you too as well. And Danielle, I want to say, I feel like you've been a kind of good inside ambassador sharing so many ideas <laughs> with your community who is filled with so many people who think so highly of you. So thank you for kind of connecting our communities together. Oh my goodness. My, my pleasure. Yours is one of the few accounts that I religiously check every day. So you're always like on my wavelength of whatever I'm going through. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to see what Dr. Becky's going through today. And it's like always the same thing. <gasps> so anyway, we, we love to start by asking about your mission. And I'm, I'm so interested to hear what yours is. So Whitney and I set out on this mission to transform lives and really give people the toolkit to understand what it feels like to live in their best body. What is your mission here on earth and what gift do you feel like you are able to give? Well, I think this good inside mission is to really make it possible to be the parent you want to be. And I think as parents, we know the feeling when we're on that path, that path of this is how I want to show up. This is how I want to interact with my kid. We know that feeling and we know that ability is inside of us because we've watched ourselves have those moments. And when we're not in that mode, it feels really confusing and almost scary at times to get back on that path. And I think what I try to do, what all of us now at Good Inside are trying to do is help parents get back there, help them reaccess what truly is inside of them. And you use the word toolkit and we use that word too. I think a succinct way of saying it is Good Inside is a toolkit for becoming the parent you want to be. 
love that so much because it's one thing to have the toolkit for your own health and sanity, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a completely other to have that toolkit in the face of your children, in the face of what it means to deal with a screaming toddler, screaming baby, or a teenager, et cetera. It's almost like you have to get so ahead of it. And a lot of what I've learned from you is like building up those muscles so that in the moment you can access them. But man, the and I'm like obviously still a beginner and very much learning, but man, if you don't have it, it's exactly what you said. You can just feel so overwhelmed. And I do want to caveat this entire kind of episode by just saying, even if you are listening and, and are not a parent or don't have kids, like this stuff is life, like full life lessons, no matter where you are in, in your life. Like, I think we joked about this, Becky, but you like gave me some advice on what to do with my, I call her my three-nager. And then I was like, wait, I need to do this with my husband too. <laughs> it's like, it's like everyone just wants to be seen and heard. I think that's, that's the practice with everyone. It is down to those parts of ourselves or starting with mm. the parts of ourselves that never got seen and heard and never got compassion and recognition. They're still waiting. So yeah, I mean, I used to more than I do now, cause I just don't have the time, but I, I used to spend my days kind of working with parents of young kids. I, I still do that. Thinking about family work, thinking about adult therapy, people who don't have kids. And I used to also spend time in organizations working with management teams and, you know, people be like, oh my goodness, you do so many different things. But I was always like, no, I do the exact same thing. People would be like, oh, you just changed the language. And I was like, well, slightly, like much there's so much more similar language between how to interact with a baby and how to interact with 60-year-olds or 90-year-olds or teenagers than we think. Because it does, Danielle, go back to what you were saying. People are looking to feel seen and heard and not alone at any and every age. And that's often what we're missing in the moments we're triggered ourselves as well. Right. This is really about relationships. How do you engage with others around you to get the best outcome by giving them what they need, right? Like you're trying to get what you want out of this outcome. If you're wanting your child to take a bath and go to bed, if you're wanting your partner, your spouse, your husband to agree with you or do something for you. But in order to do that, you have certain techniques around empathy and setting boundaries and all of these different pieces in order to make it an easier process, right? Well, th thank you. That's exactly, what, that's exactly what I love to do is to think really deeply about what's really going on under the surface, but then to translate those deep thoughts into extraordinarily concrete, practical, like I can do that today strategies. I have to tell you the most frustrating part is like when I'm listening to you and watching you and it makes so much sense and it's so clear and I find myself being like, oh yeah, of course, that's what I do. And then in the moment, it's like, wait, what? Because, you know, your example was about a nine-year-old not wanting to, I don't know, eat their lunch, whatever it is. And then I'm like, okay, I can translate that into my life. And then I get into my life and I'm like, wait, no. And 
your podcast is amazing. And I remember, I don't remember which episode it was, but you said, don't try and like learn everything from this podcast, like take away one thing and then just go do it. Cause sometimes it can, even though it's so, a lot of what you talk about is so intuitive, it can be overwhelming quite quickly. And so I love that tidbit, but it also just for anyone that's not familiar with you, what would you say is at like the core core of your philosophy as it comes to like relationships and and especially with your kids. I want to caveat the rest of this episode by saying, right, I'm a mom of three, right? I have a partner. I'm working on myself as well. And I don't want anyone to think that I show up in my personal life with all the strategies I share. (laughs) Like I do not. I actually, because I've now written and said so many things, I can't even tell you the number of times I read something. I'm like, I am going to do that today. And my work partner, Eric, is like, you you wrote that. I was like, what? (laughs) I never do that. That's such a good idea. (laughs) You know, and that's not a joke. My husband always tells me he wants to tag my personal Instagram account. On we after we totally get it. We totally right? get you that. You get that too. Just because and we that. have a health food company doesn't mean that we're perfect 100%. eaters. 100%. We all are passionate about things that to some degree we're working through. So I'm passionate about helping parents. And when you, Danielle, or anyone says, it's crazy. It's like you have a window into my house. I was like, that just means your house is like my house. Like whatever is happening in your <laughs> yeah. house, your kids are saying, I hate you. It's because my kid just said, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. And I probably reacted in a way I didn't want to react and then thought, okay, what was really going on? What would I have liked to say? What do I want to do next time? What do I have to do differently to show up differently next time to have access to that knowledge? And then I put that on Instagram, but it's not because that all played out perfectly in my own home. So thank you for sharing that because it's important. A hundred percent, right? What I think really, and this is going to maybe sound cheesy, but what is at the core of everything I believe is that people are inherently good inside and that people are doing the best they can in that exact moment with the resources they have access to in that exact moment. And those two words, good inside, yes, it's kind of like the name of everything I'm putting out there now, but it actually, I think, is the most important strategy there. And the idea that people and kids and parents are good inside, to me, creates this gap that allows us to be curious. So, you know, you're in this moment, you're like, my kid drew all over the wall, even though I said not to, or my kid just said, I hate you, or I just got into this awful argument with my partner, or I just yelled at my kid and I told myself I wasn't going to. Okay, there are all examples, and I'm going to say this in quotes, bad behavior, right? Okay. My behavior is less than ideal. But then that idea of, okay, wait, if I'm good inside and I yelled at my kid, like what could connect the dots? If my kid is inherently good inside and they just drew all over the wall, even though I said, keep your marker on your paper, what, what would be going on there? Like if my partner is good inside and just shut down when I wanted to have an important conversation, what's going on. It's truly the ultimate strategy to activate compassionate curiosity. And if I think about what drives me and what helps me be creative and figuring out what's really going on for a kid under the surface, it always comes back to remembering someone's doing their best. They're good inside, but ooh, that behavior is so not okay. And I really feel like a scientist. Like, well, if I hold those two things at once, what 
would a kid need to not draw on the wall? What would be my best interpretation of why my partner shut down? I know my worst interpretation is they don't care about me. Okay. But if they're good inside trying their best, what would be my best? Oh, maybe they're physiologically over, you know, over hyper aroused. Or if I yelled at my kid, but I'm not a horrible parent messing up my kid forever. I'm a good parent having a hard time. Huh? I'm focusing on the yell. That's the end of the pathway. But where did that pathway start? What was the first decision I made that ended with me feeling depleted? Ooh, I haven't really worked out. I haven't really had lunch with my friends. I haven't felt like anything but a mom in the last week. And I know there's other parts of my identity that are yearning to be explored. It really helps to both ground yourself and it actually helps create or really come up with strategies because you can develop strategies that bring out your kid's goodness, your own goodness, instead of strategies that all generate from kind of seeing someone, including yourself, as the enemy who kind of needs to be punished. This has me thinking that you're teaching people how to have better EQ, like to think about how their actions and emotions affect others how to think about what's actually going on inside of somebody else's brain and what can be creating their emotions, which is incredible. I, you know, I think back to all of the challenges that Danielle and I have had along the way. And we used to do this with each other when we were having problems. We would dig into each other's lives and be like, well, maybe it could have been this, or maybe it could have been that. And by doing so, it helped us the next time that type of thing came around. And I feel like you're helping people to dig in. If we can just get down to a better, a bigger root cause, right? What is actually going on versus these symptoms, then you can work on what's actually happening. If your kid is crying and, and screaming, there's usually a reason why. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. And so asking the right questions and digging in, which is just so helpful. Can you tell us what some of those questions are? Because I, you know, I was working with you recently with stuff around my daughter where she was just like being really difficult. And what does that mean? Difficult? Yeah, I <laughs> this is exactly what <laughs> Dr. Becky asked me to like explain and then honestly, just in the explaining to her, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This I'm totally, I'm asking her to be reasonable, which is such an unreasonable request for a three-year-old, but it was, yeah, like behavior, like being mean, hitting, you know, just behavior that I wasn't used to. And so what was really helpful for me when we chatted was talking through some of the strategies once you're curious, because, you know, I can imagine it's, I'm not going to use the word easy, but easier to be curious with a baby because you can say, okay, there are like four things they need, like food, diaper change, they're cold, they're hot, you know, whatever it is. And then with your partner on the other end of the spectrum, you can have a conversation like, Hey, I'm really curious. Like what got you here? How, what can I do? What are you feeling Mm. everywhere in between? And I have to tell you, especially with a toddler, I, I don't have experience with older kids yet, so I can't speak to that, but I find it really hard to be curious 
I found it after, you know, practicing a lot of your stuff, I found it a lot easier to be in my really authentic place of just trying to let her feel and understand those feelings are so real for her. So they can be so unreasonable for me, but if she's mad because for example, we just went to the store and they didn't have a small bag. They only had a big bag. And she was so upset for like 30 minutes that they didn't have a small bag. And, you know, normally a reaction might be like, oh, come on, it's just a bag. But I really try to be like, wow, you really wanted a big bag. Like, I get it. That sucks. And so I found using your tools, it's much easier for me to go there and be curious. But can you talk about some tools on how to, once you're curious, start to get some answers or start to uncover some things with your children? Well, kind of what I was thinking about, Danielle, as you were talking was kind of being really clear with ourselves about like what the goal is. Like, what is the goal of my strategy anyway? Because if we're not clear with ourselves about that, we're not going to know whether we did our job, right? I'm sure for the two of you, when you're working on a new project and you're implementing something new, if you're not very clear about, well, this is what we're going for, it's never going to feel like a success because you're doing stuff without an end point, right? So one of the things I think about with our young kids, okay, a couple things, is that there's just this really inconvenient truth that kids come into the world fully able to feel. They feel as intensely and as perceptively, probably more than adults. So we know how painful frustration is and disappointment is. We know how painful it is to want something and not have it. We know Mm -hmm. that, and we're adults, like we hopefully have developed years of coping. They come into the world with as many feelings and sensations, but all of those feel kind of like intruders and attackers in their body because it's pure sensation without any coping. And it takes a really long time to build coping skills. Arguably, it's just a practice. It's not even an exact endpoint, right? I think we'd all say that about ourselves. No one I know, no one I like is like, oh, I'm perfectly able to manage every emotion that comes my way. I'd be like, cool, glad we're not really friends because like that's just not true, right? Like that's just not how it is. So it's a practice. I really think a lot of our job with our young kids is just kind of welcoming in a way those opportunities to practice teaching our kids skills without expecting immediate conversion to them, quote, doing those skills perfectly, right? And in some ways, as a parent, we often have to be the skill for our kids before they can perform it themselves for a long time. Like, I remember working with a family and they're like, all right, I'm buying in, I'm buying in. Like, how long? Like, if I'm really consistent, like two weeks, three weeks. I was like, I don't know. And they're like, stop being such an annoying psychologist. Just give me a range. Like if we're really working with our five-year-old in this way, when will we really see meaningful change? I was like, I don't know, like six, 12 months. They're like, what? And I was like, yeah, that would be like a good, that would be like a good case. Like I'm not going to bullshit you. Like it's not, your kids aren't robots, right? And everyone's looking for the quick fix fast diet, right? You know that too, right? Yeah. Now for a quick break. Today, I wanted to chat about our best-selling metabolism super powder. I'm sure you've heard of it since you are a Sakara Light here listening to the Sakara Life podcast. Uh, it's garnered quite the cult following, and that's because it really works. 
This is one of my favorite products. It was formulated with powerful plant ingredients that help regulate blood sugar, control cravings, and lower body fat. Some of the signals for a slowing metabolism are low energy, uh, feeling bloated, like you maybe have slow digestion. Those are all signals that your metabolism is slowing down. So our Saqqara Metabolism Super Powder helps to rev up your metabolism while supporting weight loss, mental clarity, and sustained energy. And it's easy and delicious to enjoy. It's made using high-quality cacao, so it's very chocolatey. I drink coffee, so for those of you that do, I highly suggest whipping it into your latte. Um, but if you're a smoothie drinker, add it to a smoothie or you can just add it to a chilled nut milk and enjoy. For a limited time, we're gifting you $15 off your first purchase of our best-selling metabolism super powder. Simply go to sakara.com forward slash MSP and at checkout, use the code podcast 15. That's S-A-K-A-R-A.com forward slash MSP and enter podcast 15 at checkout for $15 off your first purchase. Okay, now back to our chat. And there's a model of therapy, a lot of things out there, like come for 12 sessions and all of your problems will be solved. Like, I'm always like, I just, I don't buy it. Like, I don't think the body is that trusting in a good way that like you do something new and your whole wiring changes or the human species wouldn't survive if that was the case. I don't buy it. That doesn't mean you don't see, you know, these like windows of light, you know, but it, but it's very, very bumpy. So let's take your daughter, this kind of bag situation, right? Where I think one of the things we have to say more as a parent is like, what is this really about? Right? Because that doesn't mean you can't intervene in the moment just talking about the thing. Oh, you wish they had a bigger bag or, oh, you wish I didn't cut your grilled cheese in half. You wish your cheese stick didn't break, right? These are the things kids actually do get upset about. But to me, these are all, every single thing almost is this moment where there just was no more room in a kid's body for that version of distress frustration, something not going their way, wanting and not having, right? So by the time, Danielle, your daughter gets to the store and they don't have the bag, I can only imagine her body, unbeknownst to us maybe consciously, walked into that store saying, if anything doesn't go the way I want, like I, I'm already filled up, my bucket is full. So does the bag tip her off? It does. But we all know that that's not really what it's about. Right. And yeah, I still remember to this day, I remember like a overflowing moment for me. I remember I had my favorite umbrella in a taxi and it was like one of those umbrellas that like cost way too much. But I was like, I love this umbrella. So I like treated myself to it and it was raining and I got and I see the taxi pull away and, and I, I knew exactly it was like in the bottom of the taxi. I didn't have the umbrella. I, of course, I didn't like write down the number of the day. I was like, it's just gone. I have never cried so hard on the side of the street getting <laughs> soaking wet. Like I was apoplectic and I called my mom and I was like, my umbrella, I bought this. I, I was, you know, and luckily my mom is like this very empathic and she can be like this really emotionally intuitive person. And she kind of knew the week I had, 
right? And it was just like a tough week and a lot of things didn't go the way I would have wanted them to. And she didn't give me some interpretation in the moment. I think she just held space. Because in fact, if she had said, I don't think this is about the umbrella. I think in that moment, I would have been like, hang up, like goodbye, you know? Yeah, exactly. And she was just like, oh, you love that umbrella. Like you really wish you had that. I could cry thinking, you know? But I still had that pour over moment, right? So a couple things that relate to specific strategies. Number one, I find with kids that sometimes my best question is like, what is the equivalent of this situation in my life? To just relate to our kids. So often we judge our kids without meaning to. They're reacting about something ridiculous. It's just a bag. It's just a cut grilled cheese. But I have seen a lot of grown people react very intensely when the waiter says, oh, we're out of that special (laughs) or like, you know, like things that also seem small because our bucket of frustration was already filled up. And I think it's much easier to interact with our kids from a place of connection and curiosity when we do kind of find the parallel. And there is always a parallel, always, always, always. So that I think is is number one. Number two, operating from a place of believing your kid. It, it sounds obvious, but it's life-changing. Kids don't make up emotions. They don't, neither do adults, right? And if anything, because I hear a parent saying, but the way my kid escalates, right? And like, it feels so dramatic, right? Or like manipulative. Manipulative, these words. The only reason anyone would have to escalate the expression of their emotion is because their first attempt wasn't taken seriously. And like we said in the beginning, the thing people want more than anything else is to feel seen and heard because truly it goes back to the baby stage. Why do you need to recognize when your baby cries? They literally don't feel real. They don't feel real. They don't feel they exist if they don't have an adult kind of saying, I hear you crying. They're like in an abyss Mm -hmm. and that travels with us. So that's why we need to feel seen and heard because it actually makes us feel real, real, worthy, important, but really just real, right? And when you operate from a place of believing, even those three words, I believe you. Parents tell me, they're like, the way my kid reacted when I just said that, I believe you. I believe you that it feels this bad. I believe you, you don't want to go to soccer practice. I believe you that you really wanted your grilled cheese to be whole and not cut. I believe you that the string cheese doesn't taste as good when it's broken in half, right? It changes everything because when you get that core need met, adults and kids, that core need to feel seen, everything's possible after that, right? Just like it is for us, right? Can you imagine being so upset at your partner because they forgot to bring home, you know, I don't know, another roll of toilet paper, something that you're like, I guess I could get by without it. But like, you're like, you forgot and you're so upset. And if your partner was like, I believe you, this is really upsetting. I mean, my reaction would be like, I don't even need the toilet paper anymore. Like I would take it back and be like, oh, <laughs> good. Because that escalation was just a desperate attempt to have my emotional life seen and felt by someone else and believed, right? So those words with kids, I believe you. I would tell anyone, start using those words when you have a baby, right? Oh, I believe you. You really are so hungry. You're waiting and it's so hard. I believe you. Being on your tummy is so uncomfortable. I believe you. You really want that bag and it feels like nothing except for that bag is going to feel good. We start with believing 
that is such a core building block, not only for connecting for your kid, but it is so helpful for them in their own kind of process of building regulation skills. Because if they become an adult and when they have an intense emotion, the first thing they say to themselves is, I believe myself. I really am uncomfortable at this party. I believe myself. I really do think that comment made to me was inappropriate because I know I felt uncomfortable. Or I believe myself. I am really sad about not getting that job and I'm allowed to feel that way. That's like 99% of emotion regulation kind of just right there. So important. And these are such skills. They're skills that are forced upon you when you become a parent, but they're such meaningful skills to have as an adult, just for yourself. And what I hear you saying, there's lots of things clicking for me in terms of that bag experience, which is, I hear you saying, it's not curiosity. It's not being curious so that you can find the answer. It's actually being curious so that you can be curious. Yeah. Right. There's nothing that feels better when someone's actually curious about you without an endpoint right? Like if you were out to dinner with someone who didn't know what you did and they were like, tell me what you do. Oh, how'd you come up with that? Oh, and then what happened next? Oh, that's so interesting. So you pivoted from there and then what? Wait, I'm not done. I want to know more. You're like, I feel so seen and, and important and valuable, right? Not because they end with saying, well, here's my answer. Like whatever, you know, just through that process, it's so connecting. And I think we all know what it feels like when someone's curious just to get to kind of fixing something. It feels actually very pressured. It feels more like, but why'd you do that? But why? it feels almost like an accusation, Mm. that type of curiosity. An interrogation. (laughs) Yeah, an interrogation, right? Um, Now, now the other thing I'll add to that bag situation, because I do think so many things with young kids come down to these like two roles we need to have, where one is kind of empathy and, and curiosity and connection with our kids and validation through that, like believing them. The other role that I think we have to have side by side to help our kids is really strong boundaries, like really strong boundaries. And those to me are the two key jobs of a parent, boundaries and kind of that sturdiness and empathy and validation side by side. So there could be a meltdown in a public place where I end up saying to my child, look, it's really, really hard to be here. And like, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go home, not because you're doing anything wrong, but because there's something about being in this space that just feels so overwhelming, right? Or my kid starts hitting me because they didn't get whatever, the bag they want, the toy they want, the grilled cheese they want. I'm going to validate that. Oh, you really wanted that grilled cheese. But I better also say, I will not let you hit me and even hold my child's wrist to stop that behavior. This is not punishment. This is not, quote, disciplinarian. This is actually an act of love of saying, I'm going to show you over time. You're going to learn over time that feelings are manageable and don't have to transfer into aggressive behavior. But before you learn that, I will literally be the boundary for you that you cannot be for yourself. I will be that container, kind of this overwhelming emotion that's so real. And I believe I'm only going to let it go this far. I'm not going to let it destroy the world around you. And then once I've set that boundary and I do kind of imagine it like this container, now that we have something with bounds inside that container, I can do all the, I believe you, you really wanted a big bag, you wanted a small bag, you wanted to watch another show. But boundaries 
without validation are just super harsh, but validation and empathy and curiosity without boundaries is actually very scary to a kid because they feel way too powerful and they actually feel like they overwhelm the person who's supposed to be their kind of pilot in the storm. I feel like this is a challenge. I see it in my own relationship with my child and my and see it with my husband between him and my child this we wanted him to come into the world so badly and now he's here just i was just hearing up it's all right take your time <laughs> but you know so now that he's here we just want the world for him and as I think so many parents do, I mean, I remember when Danielle got a dog and she treated <laughs> that dog like she was their child. And I was like, that is one spoiled ass dog. But, you know, it's like when you love something, you want to care for it, you want to give it everything. But then how do you set those boundaries when your kid wants the cell phone and you're like, no, you can't have that phone. And the kid freaks out and is like, phone, 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 and is screaming. I see my husband is just like, just give him the phone. But for me, that is one of my boundaries that I won't do. But it's just, it gets really hard in those moments. Uh, 100%. Like hearing that screaming, just it, like my heart squeezes there's like that represents a really important like thought exercise, which is like, there's really clear things that I hear you talk about Dr. Becky of like the boundary of no hitting is very clear, but then there's other ones that you're like, how do you decide if that should be a boundary or if you're just kind of, yeah. Right. For me the phone, no phone is a boundary, but for my husband, he gives him his phone. He's also had his phone broken once. Right. (laughs) You're not, and you're not talking just for the listeners here. All you're not talking about your kid's not a teenager asking for their own phone. A one year old, right? Wanting to get your (laughs) just holding the phone, holding the phone. So, I think. Look, this is this is a conversation we could have for days, and it like, what are boundaries? Where do our boundaries come from? Our boundaries come from our desires, right? Which is like we could really talk about women and our relationship with desire and how most of us socialization, upbringing, a million things, you know, are very distant and almost afraid or, you know, don't have access to like what I want. Am I really allowed to want things? And one of the things that I think determines our parenting decisions and really that authenticity is, do I know what I want? And one of the things you said, Whitney, was like, I don't want to give my child the phone. I have reasons for that. I know that. So I think number one, reflecting on like, do I know what I want? And do I know what I want when someone expresses displeasure about what I want? Those are Mm. two different things, right? So maybe I know what I want and I'm going to take your husband here. I I don't know him, right? And he can't represent himself here. So (laughs) he might even say, well, yeah, I probably don't want to give my kid my phone for numerous reasons. But once there's crying and screaming, something happens to my boundaries. They, they shift, right? If my son yes. looked at me and said, sure, dad, what a good decision. You shouldn't give me your phone. Excellent parenting. My guess is your, your husband would be like, cool, we're good. I'm not going to give it to you, right? Yep. So this is a question for all of us to think a lot about. And this is the stuff, unfortunately, 
and I hope to change this, that people don't prepare you for with parenting. It's like, this is stuff that exists pre-parenting. What is it like for you to want to make a decision in the face of pushback from people you care about? This is like, one of my therapy clients said, is that just life, like figuring that out? Is that the only thing there is in life? I was like, kind of, you know, like that, that re- that's all there is in relationships. What do you want? What do I want? What about when I want something you don't want me to want or you want something different? What happens then? How do I feel? How do we negotiate that? What happens next, right? I find a lot of comfort going back to that idea of like family jobs and what is my goal? I really mean this. Our goal is not to make our kids happy and trying to make your kid happy is something that no child when they're older will ever thank their parent for. Because what happens to kids whose parents avoid their distress is they end up as teenagers and adults who literally have the same emotion regulation skills as a baby, which is none. I don't know any 18-year-old or any 30-year-old who ever came to my practice and said, my parents got all the frustration out of me and I've never been frustrated again or I've never been disappointed. I never have a struggle. I never have failure because my parents just solved it all before the age of five. No, but what I do see a ton of, even though it's not said consciously in the beginning, is I literally don't know what it's like to be frustrated. My tolerance window was about two seconds because I was only allowed to be frustrated for two seconds before my parents essentially came in and made it better. So now when I am frustrated in my job or frustrated in my relationship or frustrated because there's a long line somewhere, I basically have a tantrum. I basically do, right? And I feel like this is such an orienting principle for me, for the way I work, for my own kids is I, I really mean this, this sounds sick, but like I cheer a little bit when my kids get frustrated around me. I do, I'm like, ooh, everything good is gonna happen right now. Because if I can tolerate my kids' frustration, if I can tolerate it, not by turning my head, not by ignoring it, not by yelling, but by showing up in a way that I hope they mimic to themselves when they're 18, I am literally giving my kid the biggest gift of all. That is something they'll thank me for. My kid's going to thank me and say, do you know why I'm such a hard worker? Not because I'm smart, because you showed me that hard work means tolerating frustration. You didn't show me that with your words. You showed me by letting me be frustrated and being in it with me, not pulling me out of it. I seriously, when my kid, let's go that example, is crying, I want the phone or I want the toy or another TV show. And again, it's not about not giving it. If my heart of hearts is like, I want to do this, then I would do it if that's my boundary. But if I know TV time is over, if I know we went to the toy store to buy your friend a gift, and I actually think it's a good thing for you to see sometimes you get things for others and you don't get something for yourself. You only get to that point if you go through the frustration. Then when my kid has that tantrum in the toy store, which definitely has happened, a part of me says, every single thing that matters in parenting is happening in this moment. I am having such bang for my buck impact right now. This is my time to shine. I don't, mm. I don't give a shit about the other parents who are like, that kid's cry. I don't. And meanwhile, we all think parents are like judging us. All those parents are cheering us on. They always are, right? I'm going to pick my kid up and I'm going to have that strong boundary. 
oh, we're, we're not getting a toy. I know it's so hard to be in a toy store and not get a toy. It's so hard. I'm going to carry you out because you're showing me it's just not safe for us to be here. We'll get your friend their gift another time. Or I'm not giving you that phone. I know you really want it. You want it. And I'd probably, for a one-year-old open, you want it as big as this whole world. You want it so big and wanting something so big and not getting it is so hard. Mommy's here. Kids need calm, loving presence, not solutions. Because mm-hmm. the more we solve for their feelings early on, we set them up to be emotionally dysregulated when it matters the most, which is all the years they're out of our home. And so I really think turning this on its head, like my kid is crying for something like this is this is the moment I was waiting for. Get excited be, for it. Get excited. Like, I can do this. I'm going to have a huge impact. I'm literally wiring frustration tolerance into my child. And if there's a recipe to avoid entitlement in kids, it's parents tolerating and not solving their kids' frustration. All entitlement is, is an intolerance of frustration. And that's never a kid's fault. It's because they were usually deprived through the best intentions, they were deprived of opportunities to learn that frustration is part of life. If kids don't get that, they literally are terrified. I remember a family coming to me and saying, mm-hmm. I, I need to see you. We just had a, a horribly embarrassing experience. It was a family that happened to have a lot of money. And they were like, we went to Hawaii and our 16-year-old had a full-on meltdown that we didn't sit in first class like full on meltdown at the airport, yelling at us. How am I going to like, and they're like, what is wrong with our kid? No, nothing's wrong with that kid. And I really mean this, nothing's wrong with those parents either. But if I really think what's happening inside a kid's body, then they feel a feeling that's really uncomfortable. And the thing that happens next in their body is where's, where's the thing that takes us away? Where's, where's the thing that takes us away? I'm not supposed to feel this feeling. I've learned in my environment, this feeling is dangerous. It's been so dangerous that over the course of my life, my parents who are my, my leaders have really run themselves in circles, even betraying their values to get rid of this feeling. So this feeling must be toxic inside my body. No wonder the kid has a meltdown. They've actually learned that this is a dangerous feeling because it's operated in a way in their family system to get people to take the feeling away. It's not that kid's fault. And again, it's not the parent's fault either. It's nobody's fault. But how amazing to get ahead of this and to see my kids frustrated and especially, and I'll own this myself, we have a lot of privilege in my family, We right, in, in many different ways. Like there's nothing better for my kids than being in a toy store and not getting a toy. There's nothing better then that moment where I'm like, yeah, TV time is over. There's nothing better of, no, we're not doing this thing until you do clean the table. No, not just clear the dishes, like clean the table. Like actually, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to unload the dishwasher either. It's not fun. Nobody loves doing it, right? But those frustrating moments, like to have the self-talk of like, this is what my child is going to thank me for. Like this is everything I know to me, like helps me cheerlead myself, through those moments. Sorry, we went off on a tangent. I feel very passionate. No, I about love this topic. it. So good. And, <laughs> and is it okay if, like in this example with wit, like, is mm-hmm. it okay if they have different boundaries? How do you deal with that? Totally. Look, well, this he, is- he knows mm-hmm. that he can't have my phone. He might test it a little bit, but he knows ultimately yeah. that he can't continue to go after mine versus with dad. Like mm-hmm. it's free game. 
And so mm-hmm. he even reacts differently to him. And, and I see that. So first of all, it's okay to have parents who do things differently, but for sure, right? I mean, we all marry people precisely because we're attracted to something in them that's different from us. So that's going to manifest in our parenting, right? What I do think is important, what I do think more people should really talk about before they have kids and when they have kids is, what do you think it'll be like for you when our kid's crying and you could, quote, turn it off? You don't want to, but, but you could, which is really another version of What's it like when people are upset with you? No one ever goes in thinking, oh, it's going to be hard for me when my baby's upset with me. No one ever says that consciously, but that's what it is. It's what is it like when someone I love has distress and is my orienting principle, turn it off, turn it off, make it better. Or is my orienting principle, we're going to get through this together through the emotion by being present with that person but not offering solutions or a quick way out. This person's gonna be able to get out of this emotion themselves if they have my support. They're very different. And I actually think those conversations with our partners like, are so important. It's getting away from what would you do about the phone because that's just a manifestation of something more important. And it probably shows up in your partnership too. It probably shows well, it, up at work. <laughs> and it shows up for me, I'm even thinking about, I was asking Danielle the other day, like, how do you night wean? You know, we co-sleep and he's on the boob all night and I'm ready for that not to be the case. And I think that when that happens, he's going to have very, very strong emotions that he really wants to nurse at night. And I don't want him to, and I need to create that boundary. But I think it's a whole nother level than just having a phone or not. And I think you just said something like so important, like like you're ready or you're soon to be ready to be done. You know that, right? And my guess is also, you know, he's going to get through it, right? Like you're not endangering his life, right? So, but too often we say to ourselves, like with our kids, how do I do something I want and make sure my kid's not upset about it? We don't. And you'll be waiting forever and you'll be showing up as a parent, as a very boundaryless leader, right? And There's actually nothing scarier to a kid than when they know their parents are scared of the same emotions they are. You know a kid is scared of their emotions because they have a tantrum or they cry. But the idea that that would actually make my parent change their decision is only confirmation that this feeling actually is as intolerable. Right. And I, I, I've used this metaphor on my Instagram, but I think it's, it's just so powerful, right? Like when you're screaming on the plane because there's turbulence, screaming, right? And you're like, land the plane. You're like, you know, meanwhile, like, think about if a pilot <laughs> yeah, was genial. like opening up the cockpit and was like, we got to land this, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anyone, anyone back there know how to make this decision? You'd be like, forget the turbulence. I'm just scared that this dude is my pilot. Like, you know, and <laughs> you'd also feel awful though, if the pilot got on and yeah. was just like, shut up. Right. You'd, you'd be like, Oh, but if a pilot got on and was like, I hear you're scared and you're allowed to be scared, do your thing, scream, scream, scream. I know we're going to land as planned and I see your emotions, but they don't infiltrate my own body. They don't infiltrate the cockpit. Like I'm keeping them out. That's the thing. Like, that's what kids want. They want their emotions to be seen, but they don't want them to be contagious. That's really scary. So mm. even telling yourself, let's say with this weaning decision, or I, I, 
remember this stage of really difficult separation with my middle, right, for like years. And I'd be like, wait, what is my job? The boundary and the validation. Okay, what is her job? Her job is feeling her feelings because you won't learn to regulate a feeling you don't go through. You can't regulate experiences you don't experience. It just doesn't happen that way. So I leave and I do the whole setup. We do the whole separation routine. We do the prep, all that, but she'd still cry. And I'd be like, wait, like I did my job. She's doing her job. It happens to be messy. I don't feel great after, but I'm guessing the two of you at Sakara. sometimes when you're doing a really good job in your leadership roles, it doesn't mean every day feels like a party. Sometimes a day feels really hard, and, but you still might tell yourself to ground yourself, well, that day felt hard or we had to make some really tough decisions that don't feel good. And I did my job. And when you can say that about your kid, when this night comes and your son is crying, Whitney, and you can say, okay, I set the boundary. Oh, we're not doing that anymore. You're looking for something comfortable. Of course, it's hard to find something different that gives you comfort. You're validating, you're empathizing. You're also holding the boundary. You're saying that while maybe you're not having him on the boob, you're doing your job and he's gonna feel however he's gonna feel. I sometimes really find saying out loud, it's more for me than my kid. I'm not scared of your feelings. I'm not scared of your feelings. Feel them. Same thing if I feel them. I'm not scared of them. I'm right here. I see them. They're not going to change my mind. And I'm not letting them change my mind to show you that one day these feelings won't be scary to you either. Like that's such an act. I have the chills. Like that's such an act of love. It's such an act of love. I was astounded at how much harder two kids are than one. It threw me for a loop. And so for anyone listening who has more than one child, do you have any tips on helping your kids find boundaries with one another? So like my three-year-old pushes my one-year-old. It's so easy to make her the villain. And I totally. really don't want to do that. And so like, how do we negotiate that? So my quick answer is number one, talk to your older kids about the mix of feelings they have proactively, not reactively. It's so hard to have another, to have a sister, to have a brother. It's so hard to be a big sister. I know everyone says it's amazing. Secret, it's not really amazing. I know it's really hard. Like naming the feeling in advance basically tells your kid you're a good kid, right? Talk to your kid also about every stage the younger one's about to go through. That's so important. What's it going to be like when your brother starts crawling, gets into your towers? Ooh, that's going to be different. Ooh, when we go to the party, everyone might be saying, oh, he's smiling. He's so cute. And you might be feeling like, I've smiled my whole life. Why isn't anyone paying attention to me? Get ahead of all those changes. Mm -hmm. And then we can't expect kids to set that boundary. We have to be that boundary for them. So we have to watch them a little bit more closely. We have to really get in there and doing one-on-one -on -one time with your older kids, that special time, giving them your full attention is really the best bang for your buck in terms of telling them you will still get what you need. You'll get my love. You'll get my attention. It tells them through that experience and it really simmers down the sibling conflict. So good. And you gave so much light work today, but if you had to pick one, what would you want to give as homework to everyone to help us all shine our lights a little or a lot brighter? Ooh. I really like this theme of that we're building of holding these two things at once, that holding a firm boundary 
actually goes hand in hand with having empathy for someone, whether it's a kid or a coworker or a partner. Because actually, when you really empathize with someone, you don't take on their feeling, you see their feeling. And in doing that, you see it as theirs and not yours. Every time I say to my kid, oh, you really wish you could have that. I remember, wait, you wish that. I don't, I actually want to say no, right? So it helps me hold a boundary. So really thinking about all the relationships where we can hold that at once. So good. See the feeling, stay curious. Love that. Dr. Becky, you're just the best. And I wish we had 10 hours. Mm, well, we'll have more time soon, I hope. Thank you so <laughs> much for so. having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. There were so many mind-blowing moments in that. You know, you hear so many things and and they're all like so mind-blowing. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you have 10 things to do and then you end up doing nothing. So I love her takeaway of like, do one thing and... I heard her one thing as learn how to witness emotions in yourself and in others and not let it waver your values or your boundaries and stay curious. I like that she gives examples of what that actually can look like, because I think conceptually that makes sense to do that. But when you're in that moment and your child is saying phone, 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 and is having a meltdown and you just want to give the child the phone, having the tools of saying, I really understand how you're feeling right now, that wanting this phone feels like the biggest thing in the world. And just the words that you can actually say in that moment and how she role plays it was really helpful for me. So now I know I can think in my head in advance, next time that happens, how am I going to show up? What am I going to say so that I can feel a bit more prepared rather than just letting my emotions go do whatever they want to do in that moment? This is where it gets tricky though. Cause like, that's a very specific moment with, but like, you're going to have a million versions of this. So like, yeah. you won't have exactly what to say, but like, you know, you and I talk a lot about reactivity versus proactivity. So how can mm-hmm. you be proactive versus reactive? And I think one of the things I've learned in those moments with my kids is sometimes I'll offer myself the space to do what's easy and just hand them the phone. Like sometimes that's not, there's not another option for me. I have to run out the door. I have to get ready. And, you know, so I have to just like, for this example, give them the phone for a minute. But what I want to reach for is doing what's actually harder, which is to sit through the emotions with them and say, no, I'm not going to give you the phone. And having that frame of reference where it's like, okay, in this moment, I just, I have so much to do. And I imagine that's how he ties feeling mm-hmm. too, is like, I need to do stuff. Like if he wants a phone, I can't handle a tantrum right now. But it anytime, takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of emotion. time, a lot of effort. So like leaning into what's hard, leaning into what's going to take you, take some like, you know, holding space and what's difficult versus just like trying to shush the feelings or shush the tantrum. Yeah. And I guess it's, you have to prioritize that, right? Of saying, this is not just about this moment, but it's about how they will handle situations in the future when they're an adult. My sister always says, you know, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And the decisions that we make right now affect who they become in the future. And, you know, that was a good reminder for me because I think sometimes it's just about that moment of you're unhappy. How can I make you stop being unhappy? 
but it's not my job. that's not the goal. And it's not my job. My job yeah. is not to like make sure you're always happy. And that's like something that I think our parents learned was like, mm-hmm. it, certainly my mom thought her job was to always make me happy, mm-hmm. but it's not a parent's job. It's a parent's job to raise an adult, to raise an adult who knows how to have boundaries, who knows how to listen to their bodies, who knows how to listen to their intuition, who isn't scared of their own feelings, et cetera. Who knows how to deal with difficult situations. Yeah. And I was raised with a lot of Montessori influences in my upbringing. And one of the concepts there is about maximum effort and giving your child opportunities to have maximum effort in a day. So if it's, you know, letting them pour their own glass of milk out of the heavy milk jug, plant-based milk, (laughs) we're talking about here, (laughs) but like it's heavy, it's hard. It's takes every effort in their entire body to do this, but then it, it levels them up to being able to do tasks at that new level. Um, It's also though, what I hear when you say that is the level of trust that I believe my caregiver has in me mm, to do hard things. Yeah. So that you can build that confidence in yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It also made me think about our immune systems and how as children, we need to be exposed to different bugs and things so that our immune systems later in life, when we come across those bugs, know how to fight them off. And this is like, you're building your emotional immune system that you have to come across all these different challenges. <laughs> yeah, you have to come across all of these different challenges so that when you come across them later in life, you know how to handle them. Your body, your physical body, your emotional body knows what to do in those situations. It reminds me of Dr. B's episode on the gut where he said, you know, people think that if they hear they have a sensitivity to lentils, then they should just avoid lentils. It's not the right. case. It means you need to do something to your gut to build up its strength so that it is no longer sensitive to lentils. So it's like it, you don't avoid the feeling. You don't avoid the tantrum the or the hard stuff. You figure out how to build up resilience because avoiding will just make it come in some other way. Yeah. This was a great episode. I'm excited yeah. for people to listen. I know she's the best. I took so many notes. So I hope you all enjoyed it. And even if you don't have kids, so many life lessons. For sure. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com. Or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Sakara Lights.